We who are about to die salute you. Hey everybody, this is Chris. Uh, we are about to talk, and those who are about to listen, we salute you. We are going to be talking about Strike Force Moritori in its entirety, because this is Moritori Monday here at the Chris and Reggie channel. You can find this program, hopefully most Mondays, for the next many Mondays, uh, over at chrisandreggie.com, chrisandreggie.podbean.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, but uh, I am joined by Chris Bailey. Uh, we've been uh, threatening to talk about Strike Force Moritori for quite a while now, and uh, finally decided to pull that trigger. So I want to send this over to you here because uh, I want you to tell me what Strike Force Moritori means to you before we get into uh, into the weeds. All right, everybody. You know what? Thank you, Chris, number one, for having us on. And we have been threatening for quite some time and teasing, yes. annoyingly, just I think to our own pleasure on Twitter, <laughs> that we we're going to talk about Strike Force Moritori. Now, you can look back over our tweets if you want to see our subtle hints. They're there. They are. But I wanted, I wanted to talk about this book for some time. You know, it's, it's one that always gets passed over, Chris. Uh, sometimes I even forget about it, too. But there's sometimes <laughs> when the word Strike Force Moritori, it's one of those words that. If I hear in a conversation, immediately I get excited and want to jump into the conversation. I want to tell people how great this Darren book is. You know, many folks, when they're telling people what to read first when they get into comics, you know, people go, hey, you know, The Dark Knight Returns or yeah. or Watchmen. You know, you got your default books, right? Sure. If this was 86 or 87, I would be screaming at people. Why are you not reading this book? <laughs> it's one of the most <laughs> underrated books Marvel's ever published. I'm super excited to talk about it. And, you know, hope that our listeners who have not experienced Strike Force Murray Terry will give it a chance and revisit something that, you know, I consider very special. And it's, it's almost like a little secret society for true comic book fans. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And today we're starting with issue one and blowing the lid off Project Murray Terry. So, as Chris said, for those who are about to listen, we salute you. Whenever anybody asks about it, because, you know, like you said, this does come up sparingly in conversation. But any time I have an opportunity to sell Strike Force Moritori to someone who might be on the fringes of comics fandom or who might just be looking for something, you know, pretty damn interesting and underrated. Strike Force Moritori is generally speaking on the tip of my tongue. And uh I you know, they'll the first thing they ask is what is Moritori? And that's a good question because yeah, exactly. it's like what the hell is it? It's it's Latin you know, there's a saying or a quote that's uh what was it? It's a uh, Moritori te salutamus. It's a a take on that. And um, anytime that I'd explain it, and this might just be me projecting rather than actually falling into a Mandela pit. But it's uh, (laughs) but I always I said that this is what people would say when they were stood before Caesar. You know, this is what gladiators Uh would say. But uh, come to find, because Reggie and I did do a uh, cosmic treadmill on the first arc of Strike Force Moritori a couple of years ago. And uh, that facilitated a lot of research. And 
uh, much needed research because I was really speaking ignorantly about history. And that's, you know, that's something I do anyway. But uh, I, I, I wouldn't want it to get in the way of our moratory factoids here. So this is something that is usually said or that has been said. It's on record as being said one time. By, so it's fact. So it's yes, fact. Yes, yes. By someone who is condemned. It was not someone looking to fight for Caesar was someone basically begging Caesar to spare their life. So it's a, it's an interesting thing because, uh, and, and I've talked to other people about this and, um, we always come to this agreement that this was just something that gladiators would say before Caesar, before they would fight a lion or before they would fight each other. And, uh, this was like a sporting ritual sort of a situation. And, uh, for all I know, it was in a textbook somewhere. Maybe maybe the East Coast uh, educational system put this in their textbooks and all of us East Coasters got it. But uh, who knows? I, so I just, something I wanted to drop in there because it, it's, it's interesting to me even to this day, just that uh, the saying is just it, it kind of uh, it kind of surpasses the original meaning, you know, it does. Uh, even like looking at uh, the first volume or the first arc of the Keith Giffen Doom Patrol was called We Who Are About to Die. You know, it's a so it's something that really? just sticks around. Yeah. And I mean, you go to like ACDC with a We Who Are oh, About yes. to Rock, was, you know, it's a <laughs> it's a lot of a lot of interesting stuff. But, uh, you know, that, that that really has nothing to do with anything. But, you know, it's you, you think about that Mandela effect, like, did this happen? Did we all imagine it? <laughs> and off the air, we talked about, you know, uh, that that one line from Silence of the Lambs. What was that one? Hello, Clarice. That never actually happened. Lies. Lies. <laughs> he never said it. <laughs> Damn it, he, he never... did. <laughs> and and it just was on like the a... international version of the DVD. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. <laughs> the director's like the Donner cut. <laughs> the Donner cut. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, and like uh, Captain Kirk never said, "Beam me up, Scotty." You know, oh my God. a lot of these he had guys, to. He had to. <laughs> how else did he get beamed up? But <laughs> there were just all these like interesting things that we remember that, you know, never actually happened. Uh, another one was, uh, you know, J- Jimmy Cagney saying, you dirty rat. That that's something that he never said. It's just uh, Man. very, very the, interesting. The earth is coming unglued here with these it revelations. Is. It is. And I actually had an argument with my wife not too long ago. Because uh, she asked me what the Mandela effect was, and I'm like, oh, you know, it's like people believing that uh, that Sinbad had a movie where he played a genie during the 90s. <laughs> and did. she's like, she's like, I've <laughs> I've seen it. She's like, I've seen that movie. I'm like, no, no, you didn't because it never happened. She's like, no, no, I saw it. <laughs> but uh, I, I felt like tweeting Sinbad and saying, you were in that movie. <laughs> you were. I don't care. It was not Shaq. I don't know why they haven't made a movie with him as a genie in it now. Just just to <laughs> capitalize off of the off of the little word of mouth that it gets here. But uh, God bless now, you, if you're if you're listening by chance to this podcast, call in and just tell people you were in a damn genie movie, please. Yes. Thank you. It was an underground film. But uh, <laughs> now away from the speculation and on to actual factoids here about Strike Force Moratory. If you were to look at the Marvel Wiki, which uh, I don't know how accurate it is, but uh, I believe a lot of the information comes from the most recent official handbooks, like the mid-2000s era. Uh, they list Strike Force Moratory as having occurred on Earth 1287. Um, yeah. Ronald, and I think is that that's the cover date, I believe, for the first issue. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's right December 1986. Actually, it's December 1986, so it should be 1286 if they're going to do that. But 
Who so, knows? so far in the future that they updated it one year ahead. They did. They did. Uh, Ronald so Bird, that- uh, he's a contributor to the, those 2000 versions of uh, the official handbook. He said the following. Strike Force Moyotori took place on Earth, yes, but it's an Earth of maybe 20 years in the future as of the 1980s, where, if I recall correctly, superhumans never existed until the title was created to fight an alien horde. Oh, and there were a few in-joke shots, like seeing Galactus's helmet on the horde ship, but really, it might as well have been an epic series like The One or Bratz Bazaar for all the connection it had to anything else. As of the 1980s Marvel Universe, as far off the 1980s Marvel Universe map as G.I. Joe. Sort of like Earth's supreme power with an invading race as a catalyst for the story developments instead of just one alien infant, I guess. And he's uh, referring to the Supreme Power Max series where uh, oh, yes. Hyperion showed up as, a, as an infant or, or something like that. But uh, that uh, the, in, the in-jokes there with Galactus's helmet, you, there's also like like a Green Lantern power battery, Captain America's shield I think is there. It's, it's a, lot of, uh, a lot of little neat asides. I love when they do that. Just oh, you know what? Throw stuff oh. in the background. Make the uh, make the astute reader, you know, really find this stuff. That's half the fun of a comic book, man. Oh, I I think about uh, the uh, the Incredible Hulk Future Imperfect, where uh, Rick Jones had like that trophy room. Yes. It's like I, I got lost on those pages. You know, I, I, it took me you know days reading those pages because there were just so many little nods that you you just want to catch. Um, now, Earth-1287 uh, would actually have a ripple effect into the prime Marvel universe, that's the 616, of course, on a couple of occasions. Uh, the Maverick uh, of Earth-1287, Maverick is uh, one of Wolverine's uh, Weapon X pals there, he uh, would partner up with the Exiles, and that's when the Exiles were doing the sliders gimmick, like going from uh, d- you know dimension to dimension to right wrongs and all that good stuff. Uh and then uh, later on, a mutant and interdimension, interdimensional thief named Antonio Agassiz, he would visit Earth-1287 in order to retrieve the Moritori formula. And that happened in X-Force Volume 4, Number 3, cover dated Ooh. June 2014. And uh, since the fellow <laughs> only appeared in like that issue, uh, it didn't work out all that well for him. Anything that with the Moritori formula you want to avoid, people? Just a rule of thumb. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I was uh, talking to a fella just yesterday, and he said, uh, he said, you know, if I make it my whole life without having a law named after me, I'm doing pretty good. So you, you don't <laughs> you don't want to get involved with none of the moratory stuff. You might get you might have like a thing named after you after that. Uh, now, <laughs> now since this is so far off the grid, and it is. Uh, it is just so underrated. And and I am finding out when we started sharing stuff that a lot of people do have an affinity for this book. But it's like one of those, like like you said, like your ears perk up when Strikeforce Moritori is mentioned. And it's like you really want to get into the conversation. So it's true. So I think there might be a little bit of a – it's like, whoa, somebody's saying something about that. I, I want to hear. I want to get into that. So – I, I don't know how how, how far reaching the uh, the property is, but uh, it's it's like one of those one of those books where you test people's knowledge. You you hear the word and you slide in and you're like you know you sort of lean in and you have the <laughs> the, the partial grin. Really, <laughs> you lower your glasses like down the brim of your nose. So now since this is so far off the grid, how and when did you discover Strikeforce Moratorium? Oh, boy. So I bought this directly off the rack on release date. It was at one of my local pharmacies, Cabot Pharmacy to be uh, – I'll call it the fine folks in the Clarenville area of Cabot <laughs> Pharmacy. That's where I purchased this particular issue. Uh, as I've told listeners many times, you know, 
Uh, I used to buy pretty well every book that was on the rack. My parents gave me a loaded $20 allowance in the 80s. And you know what? Books were under a buck at that time. So every trip, every week, it would be like a $20 stack every nice time. Stack, so yeah. Really good. So that was about 80 books a month. Now, now put wrap that around your head this day and age, what 80 books would cost you at oh $45 a pop. Crazy. I bought everything on the rack, man. I bought Archie Double Digest. I had Batman and Detective, Tales of Legion of Superheroes. You name it, I bought it. Uh, this period sticks out to me because DC, you know, was in a post-crisis flux and, you know, in rebuilding mode. So Superman was relaunching, you know, Byrne had come out with the Man of Steel series. Uh, Legends had begun, you know, that was in full swing. Mm -hmm. I was mostly into DC, uh, you know, Marvel, with few exceptions, uh, was not being purchased. I got some stuff like Amazing Spider-Man and anything that sort of caught my eye, but... Um, you know, Marvel was trying to, com you know, counteract DC's relaunches with its own sort of stuff under the helm, of course, my favorite guy in the world, Mr. Jim Shooter. People <laughs> can say what they want about that guy, editor in chief at the time. So he was launching at the time uh, the world outside your window, the new universe. Not only I don't need to hear anyone heckling back there, by the way, <laughs> if you don't like that, I loved it. So I was buying the crap out of that stuff. You know, on the rack, suddenly, you know, books like Starbrand, Spitfire and the Troubleshooters, Kickers, Inc., you know, all that stuff, mm -hmm. Cyforce. I, I bought them all. And I was just pumped to be a comic book fan at the time, you know, walking up to the rack and snapping up Legends crossovers and New Universe. Somehow, in the midst of all that, I, I must have grabbed Strikeforce Murray Turry at the same time. And, and you know what? Honestly... I think it was a new universe book, clear. I honestly honest to God, I think that's how I ended up buying the thing. That's possible, yeah, that you probably thought it was just one of them and that's actually something that uh we'll probably be discussing a little bit down the line because uh there were a lot of rumors about that. You know, uh, even subsequent years, um, you know, as the as the internet grew bigger, a lot of people and, and going back to our friend Mandela here, I think a lot of people actually <laughs> remember Strike Force Moratory as being branded a new universe book. And uh, that that would come sort of to a head, as big a head as something this tiny can get, and it would have to be, you know, debunked. But I, we'll, we'll save that for another time. Ah, sounds good. One of, one of the things, and I don't know how you, how you work, Chris, but when I buy a stack of books, you know, I try my best to, you know, to read everything that I get. But, sure. um, you know, even the best of times, sometimes 20 comics are a daunting task a week, you know, depending on your busy lifestyle. Especially in so, the 80s when there were actually uh, words in them. Yes. And, I, you know, <laughs> I was I was a, a, a visual learner, we'll say. <laughs> <laughs> so so I relied heavily on the art to keep me in uh, <laughs> entranced in a book. Uh, but, you know, there are many weeks when the book would just sit on my shelf. And, you know, I may or may not have actually read uh, several of the 20 issues that I would purchase. So but it wasn't until. Issue three of Strike Force Murray Terry, where I stopped because of the cover. You know, it was a it was a bright pink cover, and it featured the entire team like running towards the reader. You know, yep. I'm I'm always a sucker for you know teams running at me in the covers. Ever since Teen <laughs> Titans number one, so I, I always loved that cover, and anything that resembled that always caught my eye. I don't know what it is about me. I, th I think I'm weird like that. <laughs> but anyway. After I saw that issue, I'm like, uh, I pulled out my my comics that I recently got, and sure enough, the first two issues were there. I didn't even know I had them. I just assumed that they were part of the new universe, and then I thought, wait a second. Not only are they not new universe, but they're not even part of Marvel proper. So I, I had heard zero buzz about the book. I didn't see any promotion whatsoever. So I sat back, and I read the first three issues, loved the concept. 
I knew there was no one else in town buying it because it was the only place that would sell it. And they would only get three issues of the book, and there was always two remaining. So it was my like it was my like my little secret actually. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> now, like you said, this this got like so little promotion here, and I I like to consider myself. Uh, you know, a, a fake-ass, half-ass comics historian of sorts, <laughs> and I and I always have wanted to like think of myself as that. I, I was, you know, I was on the internet pretty early, you know, um, early mid '90s, and I was on Usenet all the time, and never heard anything about Strike Force Moratory ever. And uh, I would spend hours and hours, and I, I was a very popular teenager, you can tell. But uh, <laughs> me too, brother. <laughs> but I, I was spending so much time on using that, and I was learning so much about about you know comics history. But never did Strike Force Moratori come up, and I actually remember where I was when I first heard about him. It was in uh, Wizard Magazine issue 139. That's April 2003 cover date, pages 82 and 83, and I was in my office. In South Phoenix, I had gone to lunch, and on Wednesdays when I'd go to lunch, I'd actually take a very long time and head uh, up to North Phoenix <laughs> <laughs> to my uh, to the place where I had a, a hold box, and, and and it was always like the most expensive week of the month because Wizard would come out and previews would come out. So you know, Wizard's a five dollar magazine, previews was like three or four bucks, and back in two thousand three, uh, you know, the going rate was like maybe. 250 maybe three dollars so that was a pretty expensive week and uh it's it's crazy when you consider that we were buying magazines about comics and we'd be broke before we actually bought an actual comic (laughs) it's true (laughs) it's true especially something like wizard that's like they try to portray themselves as uh as helping you uh increase your comics budget you know (laughs) with the speculation it's like well after i buy your magazine i can't buy the comics so (laughs) it was it was a legit price guide it was a legit price guide i still stand by that Absolutely, it was. Uh, now, in Wizard 139, there's an article titled The Great Unknown, and it looked to unearth the top ten most underrated comic stories ever told. And of that top ten, Strike Force Moritori issues one through eight ranked number one. Absolutely. So this was the most underrated, and uh, I have a few little snippets here from the article here. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but uh, we can put pictures of uh, of the article online so you can see it if you're interested. But uh, one of the paragraphs reads, Marvel's mid-80s sci-fi series explored the meaning of true heroism and its price. Set in the not-too-distant future, Earth lies ravaged by sadistic aliens called the Horde, and Earth must manufacture its own super soldiers to stop them. The series stars a rare breed of humans capable of surviving the Moritori process. However, the process condemns them to each die within a year's time, as that's the duration the human body can withstand the power. And they wrap up the uh, article with, Even though the series is long gone, time has not run out on Strike Force Moritori. Cable Sci-Fi Channel, and this is back when it was SCI-FI, uh, will adapt the concept for TV later this year as... A thousand days. No doubt expanding the lifespan of its heroes from one to three plus years makes sense if you want to keep cast members around. Hopefully that <laughs> well could mean, played. Yes. Hopefully that could mean Marvel will repackage it in trade paperback. Hint, hint. And uh, not to bury the lead, Marvel would eventually repackage, uh, repackage Strike Force Moratorium in trade format. That was in 2012, but uh, that's a story for another day. 
because uh, there's a, a lot of rights issues that went into that republishing. And uh, I think a lot of it had to do with a potential uh, television uh, adaptation. So absolutely. As soon as as soon as the word came out that Marvel that the uh, TV series was a thing, Marvel went about copywriting every solitary thing that they could about Strike Force yeah. Moratoria to lock it all down. So nobody absolutely. was getting those rights. So mm-hmm. and as you know, with uh, with the current Spider-Man situation and all that stuff, rights are a big deal, people. They're a huge deal. They're a huge deal. Um, but this was, uh, like I said, 20, 2003 was uh, when I first learned about it. And I would not actually get my hands on it until 2010. And uh, that's a story I don't want to get too deep into because I did speak on it for way too long on a uh, recent episode of Chris's on Infinite Earths where uh, <laughs> I, where I, I, came into, I came into possession of the book. And it happened at a most opportune time in my life because uh, I was working temporary jobs. And uh, working temporary jobs is like a non-fatal moratory process because any day could be your last. And uh, I thought there were a lot of interesting parallels there to finally get my hands on the series at the very same time that every day I went into work, I could be told, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're done. You know, I, I could stand there and say moratory tastes alutimus and they <laughs> out the door. <laughs> but uh but if you are interested, I will link to the uh, to the Chris's on Infinite Earths uh, episode uh, if you want to hear me drone on uh, for ages about that. But uh, I think that's a, a decent enough introduction. I think we can maybe actually crack this book open. Let's try it out. So we begin in the 21st century of New Roanoke, Virginia. It used to be a thriving port. However, it's been decimated by the invading alien hordes. So the horde we discovered, you know, they came to Earth, they plundered the stores, they raped the factories, they took slaves, and they killed millions of people and melted the city with their engines. So, I mean, this was a brutal, brutal assault, and Earth, of course, was just unprepared for the attack. Now, if you know, if you're like me, I'm a huge fan of, like, alien invasion sci-fi. So one of my favorite shows in the 80s was V, you know, where aliens come to Earth seemingly in peace. And meanwhile, in the background, they're stealing the Earth's resources like water, the water supply, and they're stealing humans and consuming them, and rats as well for for V fans. (laughs) Uh, You know, things like Independence Day was one of my favorite summer uh, blockbusters with Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum. And Tom Cruise's War of the Worlds is an unheralded classic if if you're me. Uh, out of the gate, you know what? I'm super interested in Strike Force Moratori and this this entire project. So, and I'm I'm glad you mentioned V because V was a made for television movie, right? Ah, uh, yeah, it started as the original. It started with two miniseries, oh, like a miniseries, then, yeah, yeah, two two t- made for TV movie miniseries. So there was V and there was V the Final Battle before it became a TV series. So gotcha, because you know the made for TV movie, like the movie of the week sort of thing. Those always kind of they always kind of creep me out. There was just something like there was something unpolished about them, you know, and like it was very gritty, maybe sort of dangerous in a way. And that reminds me a lot of Strike Force Moratori. It's it it feels like something that is a little dangerous. It is a little gritty and raw. And absolutely. uh, and, you know, these days, I mean, you don't have like kids growing up now don't know the uh, the horror of the disembodied voice uh, talking over a movie trailer, you know? Oh, boy. Scary. It's literally terrifying. It wasn't. It wasn't anything. It wasn't anything, you know, dictionary definition scary, but it was just, no. a, you know, you know, we joke about the inner world sort of a thing. But it, there is a very uneasy element to that. And uh 
especially, you know, you get into the movie of the week where it is not polished. You know, it might be people you've never seen before, you know, celebrities in their own right, but not, you know, not Tom Cruise and not Will Smith. You know, these oh, absolutely. are these are like the the B and C and maybe former A list actors and stuff. But there was just this like dirty grittiness to him. And it just it really, really creeps me out. And uh, my my parents, they would watch a lot of the made for TV movies. Uh, I, I I don't I, I maybe everybody's parents did back in the 80s. I don't know because there weren't that many channels back then. But uh, <laughs> but I remember my my father worked nights and my mother would sometimes tape them and they'd, and they'd watch them later on. And yes. uh, I I came across some of these tapes and and they, and they creep me out. They really creep me out. Uh, there was one starring Robert Urich called Invitation to Hell. And, uh, oh, right, right. That, just the name of that terrifies me now. Because that's I found a VHS tape and it just said Invitation to Hell on it. And, and you know, when you're a kid, you know, you're a ima- you you have the wonder of imagination and you don't know what the hell is on it. <laughs> and this this tape that said Invitation to Hell became like a holy grail. It's like I got to see what's on that tape. You know, I, I wasn't even allowed to say hell. I just wanted to see what was on that tape. <laughs> but uh, it just it just really creeped me out. And, and it wasn't a terribly scary movie. But, you know, the the buildup of what is this? And in just thinking about that, thinking about things like V, because I did see some of V, uh, Stephen King's It, the the first one, the miniseries. Oh, they boy. Act. Horrifying. Absolutely. At the, at the time. Absolutely. And it's just uh, so many things that just they put me in a Mori Tori sort of sort of place, you know, and uh, not not to go too much deeper into the weeds uh, after the, you know, after the Internet got big, I actually looked up Invitation to Hell to see exactly what it was because I hadn't seen it since I was like nine. And uh, I came across that uh, that website that used to be a website. I don't even know if it is anymore. That Jump the Shark website. Cool. Um, I, I don't know if it, that's even a thing anymore, is it? It, it may have jumped a shark. I don't know. <laughs> we, we, will, we will have to look. <laughs> and I, I never liked that site for the actual shark jump aspect of it. I, I liked one section of the site. It was called Stump the Shark. And it would just be like weird trivia about, you know, we're trying to stump this guy with old TV facts. And uh, a lot of them came from these weird made-for-TV movies. And because, uh, you know, you, you, these are like you see it, they're on once and they're gone. Yeah, you know, absolutely. They're not, they're not going to get video releases in most cases. Um, you may never see the people who are on them ever again. It might just be there one time <laughs> to shine. And uh, they mentioned one that has like stuck with me uh, ever since. Uh, I, I don't know if you've heard of this one. It's called Bad Ronald. No, what in no. the heck is that? Not about a that, McDonald's clown. No, no, no. It's about a kid who accidentally kills a girl. And uh, I mean, this has nothing to do with Strike Force Moratorium, but I, I, we never talk about made-for-TV movies, so we're just gonna go with it. We're talking um, about it now. Let's go. There we go. He accidentally kills a girl, and he's kind of unstable as it is. He he shoves a girl off a swing, and she cracks her head on a rock. He goes home, tells his mother, and she, instead of turning him into the police or or anything like that, she. Cuts a hole in the wall. He moves moves into the wall. She seals the wall up behind him, and he lives on the walls of the house. Oh and, boy! And she dies, and then a new family moves in. So it's like it, just the, the very thought of that really creeps me out. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> if anybody's heard of Bad Ronald, let us know. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll get back into the book here. 
Well, well, I will say one story about V before we get before sure, we carry sure. on. This is very quick. So, like you, I would watch V in the night. Usually, it was a Thursday night, and it aired on a channel in my hometown called NTV. Uh, it was generally around eight thirty in the night when this thing would come on. And um, generally, on Thursday nights, my dad would go pick up groceries while my mom worked. So I was sort of home alone. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I would always love to watch V. However, after watching V, I would be so terrified that I would <laughs> lock myself in the bathroom <laughs> until I heard my father come in. So, yeah, that's that's my V story. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> anyway, back to the book. So this book starts with the Paidea, I guess that's how you would say it, Emergency Volunteer Unit, and they're looking for survivors. Now, things are not looking great. You know, you see buildings, everything is decimated. Uh, you see arms and limbs hanging out of, like, rubble. Then you know what? They're really not finding any survivors. Basically, they're just finding bodies. Yeah. But they're taking solace in the fact that, you know, we'll still find these bodies, and at least we'll be able to give them a proper burial with some dignity. You know what I mean? So it's here we meet our central character of the day, and he has a very interesting nickname of R.B. Rabid Beaver. Yes, Rabid Beaver, folks. Uh, uh, he his unit knows that he um, that Harold Everson um, is leaving for something called the moratory process. You know they note that he's moving on to become a superhero, and boy, they're going to have a celebration. It's going to be one heck of a going away party. So we learn right away that there's something very special about becoming a moratory, you know, a moratory process person. You become basically a superhero. Now, folks, I will warn you, I do not want anyone to Google Rabbit Beaver on Google. Do not do this. Young listeners, do not do this, please. And make sure your safe search is ratcheted way, way up. Oh, boy. Hopefully you just get a little animal with a foaming mouth. Anyway, back to the book. We <laughs> yes. catch up with poor Harold. Now, he is on the way home to Alexandria, Virginia. So we get to eavesdrop on a little bit of his inner dialogue, and we discover that, you know, he's one of the few who are selected by the moratory process. And as you said, it's like hitting the jackpot to him. However, however, however uh, you know, he struggles with the fact that others disagree with that, namely his parents. So when he arrives home, he meets up with his parents who take time for him to relax at home and as they're sitting around the uh, the old dinner table there, they have a conversation and, you know, there an argument ensues between his parents and Harold. And, you know, uh, they tried to tell him that he's making a big mistake and he should stick to writing for the, the local net. Hmm. Harold says he's tired of just hauling bodies. Now, you know, he was part of the emergency volunteer team, so he's had a lot of experience with, with the dead as a result of horde attacks. And he wants to do something about the horde himself. So as his parents quibble, he gets up and he storms off, and they mention that his their son is off to become a dead man. So, yeah. hmm, what a that's a grim reality right there. If you're parents, that is some harrowing stuff. So, sure. although I will say it's interesting to hear this is back in 1986, and they're already talking about the net. Mm-hmm. So I found that was pretty uh, pretty cool. I didn't even get actual home internet, and I may be you know way behind the times here. But it was like the late 90s before I even got that inside my house. So, you know, no wonder they struggled so much. Today you can just, you know, you can Google now how to get rid of a horde invasion. And somewhere (laughs) someone has a YouTube video where you can do it yourself. So there you go. Sign of the times, people. Back then you were stuck on Usenet and you'd have to like go to alt.war.horde.moritori backslash (laughs) something or another. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> those people didn't make anything easy back on the old Usenet, I no, guarantee it. No, no. Man. 
<laughs> so we get to see Harold. Now, Harold rushes off to his room, and he grabs the book. Now, this is the only book that apparently Harold owns, and it <laughs> and it's a comic. It's called The Last Stand of the Black Watch. Now, the watches we would discover were the original superheroes from the Moratory process. And these guys are like three futuristic-looking soldiers. You know, they're dressed in pretty cool traditional leather, futuristic-style uniforms. And they're future-ready. They have the, you know, the metal shoulder guards. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all their – they have a nice white belt ensemble for straps for their weapons and pouches. I mean, you know, I, I swear to God Rob Liefeld must have uh, created these characters. Well, these, but these are uh, Will Spertasio. Yes, Mr. (laughs) Wetworks himself. (laughs) I I think he goes uncredited in this. I think he's credited at the beginning, but when it goes to these pages, I don't think they credit him. Hmm. On these pages, the the comic inside a comic is uh, is credited to uh, Yorisu Borento. (laughs) (laughs) Weird. Hmm. Which means like Brent Demon or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Take your word for that. <laughs> they didn't exactly or have Brent the most. Virus. I'm sorry. Brent Virus. Brent Virus. Yeah. Ah, they were they were hiding their names. They were dumping the bodies on this one too. <laughs> but uh, so you had three characters, and they had some pretty uh, pretty lame names. I mean, Clint, Bruce, and Woody. Not exactly striking fear into the hearts of the horde with those names. They sound <laughs> like like people from Cheers or something sitting around a bar. But anyway, <laughs> we find them, and these guys are you know. They are the mega heroes. They're riding on top of a space cruiser. They're not even sitting in the cockpit. These guys are riding shotgun right on the top of this darn thing, and they're flying right into the heart of Horde territory, you know, classic comic book style. And these guys are looking for a fight. Uh, It's pretty clear they have superpowers. They easily combat the monstrous hordes with their bare hands. We see one guy just punching out the Horde, another one ripping metal beams apart. One of them even kills the Horde, you know, the Horde leader with two almost Cyclops-like eye blasts. So, you know, these guys are jacked up. They've got all kinds of different powers. They're going for blood. So, you know, we all, we read that the Black, you know, the Black Watch is, uh, their leader is Woody. Now, he kills the Horde leader, and he triumphantly yells, All right, you dirtbags. Your commanders are dead. Who dies next? Who dies next? I mean, classic, classic words, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Remember those words, kids, because that is going to become very important later in the series. (laughs) Who dies next? Woo! We we have not yet begun to die here, I guarantee you. So a little bit about that comic book. This was nothing but like a propaganda tool. When you will find out a little bit more about it as we go, but you know the book he's reading is like a military recruitment brochure, basically, oh, except yeah. it's really, really jacked up. I mean, um, I don't think there's any fine print that uh, that he read anyway <laughs> that will said that you will be dead in a year. But you know that's kind of key information, I think. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, that would be helpful. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> So, so anyway, good old Harold, after, you know, after arguing with his parents, he does go ahead. He goes ahead with the moratory process. So he's driven to a place called New Haven. Now, New Haven is like a large gated compound. And when Harold arrives, you know, the he goes comes up to like an iron rock gate. It mm. looks like a cemetery. He, you know, all the grounds are well manicured. And he actually calls it out. He literally says this place looks like a cemetery. And boy, is that symbolism right there. A little bit. <laughs> yep, out of the gate. So anyway, as soon as he gets there, of course, 
the air is filled with flying crafts, and immediately he thinks it's like the alien hordes, you know, flying overhead, and he's ready to jump into action right away. So Harold's not wasting no time. This guy's ready to get down to business. So as we're getting into the place, you know, the place uh, is a very, very luxurious. I mean, well, it looks like something out of Architecture magazine. I mean, this place is jacked. But uh, anyway, we find out that it wasn't uh, that that was actually friendly craft and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of our own and not the alien horde. So anyway, some of the first things that are not going to turn out well, you know, you drive to a place that looks like a cemetery, not a good omen. No, and you're no. basically, you know, you're you're coming up here and you're going to try to sign your own death warrant with the moratorium process. But <laughs> anyway, once inside, Harold meets, you know, and I love to describe her as this tough as nails commander who has, you know, that heart of gold. Of course. Uh, Beth Louise Neon, I think, or Nyon. How would you pronounce that? Neon? Neon works. Yeah. I, I, I want to say neon because it's in the 80s where everything was neon. Everything so. was. <laughs> yes. And the also the creator of the Moritori process, also with a very increase, uh, interesting name, Kimo Tulima. Mm -hmm. Yes. So he's also introduced to other recruits. Now, these folks will, you know, come to be a very big part of uh, uh, part of, you know, Harold's life. So we have yes. Commander Beth Neon, who looks mysteriously like Rogue. You know, have you if you've seen Rogue from the X Men in her early appearances, this looks like this particular woman. She actually has the the weird gray stripes through the side of her hair. And every time side, I see yeah. this, yeah, every time I see this, it always weirds me out. I don't know what it is. <laughs> the only person I think that I've ever truly accepted in comics with like the the gray on the sides of the hair was Reed Richards. Everybody else just feels like weirdos to me. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Even when Hal Jordan got him when he had was doing the whole parallax deal, man, it just I don't know, it just got on my nerves. Anyway. <laughs> Now, Reed had the gray temples like from day one, right? Yes. Yeah, so he was the original. So, <laughs> it, you know, it always suited him. It wasn't something that came with him. You know what I yes. mean? But, uh, but. this uh, this uh, you point out that uh, Neon looks a lot like Rogue and it's even down to she's wearing like a green outfit. Yes. You know, it's uh, it, if you if you just knew this was a Marvel comic and didn't know what Marvel comic you would think and you were familiar with Rogue having the stripes on the side instead of in the middle in the 80s, you would think this was her. Absolutely. And you know what? Maybe maybe the first part of why this book sat on my shelf so long, maybe I thought it was just in the Marvel Universe proper. Could be. Could very well so, be. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, he's introduced to his uh, to some people who will be working with him alongside. These people are also going to be taking the, uh, the moratory process as well. We get to meet Robert Greenbaum who's the uh, fairly jacked-up athletic uh, athletic guy of the group, who uh, will be working out a little bit later on, and we'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> kind of looks like uh, Joe Piscopo in a way. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> he does. He even acts that way somewhat. Inspiration, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. We get to see Jeline Anderson. She's the only black character in the entire group. Uh, and she's got, you know, she's the, the crybaby of the group. She's got all sorts of emotional baggage. She spends almost the entire book, you know, crying. She's, uh, but she has strong Christian faith, so she stands for something, right? Mm -hmm. Then we have Louis or Louis uh, Armanetti. So he, you know, eventually he ends up getting radiation powers, but that's not important right now. So this dude sort of looks, if you're picturing Louis, he sort of looks like Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Like with with a disco suit on or something. Yeah. He he sports that, you know, that eighties, you know, the the porn stash that was that may have died out in popularity by this time, but but I digress. <laughs> then we then we have Lorna Rayburn. Now, this person, you know, comes to like Harold a, a 
you know, she's also the team flirt. Uh, she understands that her time is limited and she realizes the importance of, you know, settling down with someone and finding someone to love. So now we have Aileen Pagranova. Now, she's a former nerd. Now, her, her reasoning for, for joining the process is a little weird, which we'll get into a little bit later. Uh, but uh, she chose the Moritori process instead of uh, taking her own life, which is a sort of a strange way to uh, pick a basically suicide to replace suicide. But, yep. uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know. And, of course, Harold himself, you know, he's the blue-collared writer, you know, who has one single-issue comic collection, <laughs> which, he, which he totes around with him. Hopefully he's made brought it with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to bring that one book. It keeps him going. <laughs> you know, hopefully he's read one more book in his life than this one. You know, everything he writes in his, in his written word is going to be just as layered and as deep as an issue of Rob Liefeld's original Youngbloods. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe should have. Uh, maybe maybe Harold should have hung out for that opening because Rob Liefeld just turned down his book. You know. Maybe. <laughs> he, yeah, he got offered to write his own book. Did you hear that? No, I did not. Oh yes, yes. He lost all the rights to Youngblood, and uh, the guy who took over the rights decided that uh, he could audition for uh, to work on the book. <laughs> I, I I don't know whether to be angry or to be to, or to laugh at that. I don't know. Uh, wow. That has to be the most shameful thing in comics. Anyway. Oh, boy. <laughs> anyway, as Harold meets all these people, Aileen is the first one to greet Harold. Now, she shakes his hand. And, of course, as one of the uh, one of the tropes in superhero movies, of course, she has a powerful grip and she squashes his hand. Uh, that's symptom one of the moratory process. So she's gotten a little bit further than all of the others. So her powers are starting to progress. And she, so far, she has elevated strength. So mm-hmm. that's that's the first thing we know about Aileen. Now, of course, Harold, who is extremely tired from his journey, wants to lay back in his room and curl up with his one copy of the last stand of the Black Watch again. However, this time he actually gets to maybe page three or four instead of the first two pages. (laughs) (laughs) And it actually shows what happens to the original members. Now, all the original members, as they're on their... uh, you know, their trek to destroy the alien hordes, they eventually become surrounded. Now, these people are irate. Their leader has just been massacred by the three black watchmen. And, uh, you know, they are basically eradicated. So they get gunned down. However, before they're gunned down, they proclaim, there'll be more of us, wave after wave, fighting with one word on our lips, which will die speaking, Earth. Now, you know, as corny as that may sound, uh, Harold bought it, that's for sure. That's, so. that's for damn sure, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I, uh, I like that we get to see what Harold's reading, but, you know, if it was meant to be a nonfiction story, it's a little <laughs> overwrought, we'll say. <laughs> if anyone has seen Starship Troopers, it's, it's that type of, you know, over-the-top schlock that, that, that he's reading there. But anyway, the, the other time that I remember a comic book reference so deliberately, like, inside a comic was in Watchmen. So there's basically an inset comic, you know, basically yeah. running adjacent. Remember the, um, what was it? The, the, the tale, tale of, of the black, black freighter. Fra- yeah, yeah. The tale of the black freighter. Uh, you know, Alan Moore discussed in an interview when he's discussing, you know, his, uh, tales of the black freighter story. He sort of, sort of reminds me of, uh, of the moratory thing here. He says, you know, the pie, he talks about the pirate in the book and he says he hopes to stave off danger by using the dead bodies of his comrades as means to reaching his goals. You know, that sounds a whole lot like what Commander Neon and Dr. Tulema are doing. So, yeah, it's true. And what's weird is that both of these books were running in 1986. So is it a coincidence or not? 
Mm. But both both basically are books. Are, you know, they're both deconstructive statements about superheroism. You know what yeah. I mean? So where Alan Moore was, uh, you know, trying to say that, you know, that the superhero was, you know, not what we've not what we've grown up with. A lot grittier. You know, being a superhero is not all is not all about you know the glory and you know primary catching the jokes and yeah, yeah. the primary colors. You know, it was gritty. It was real life. People die. And, you know, Strikeforce Moratori is basically all about the same thing. You know, you pay a price when you become a superhero with the Moratori process. That's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as we move on, we get to see Lorna. Now, Lorna, of course, is watching Harold from his room door. And guess what he's doing? Can you guess what, what Harold is doing in his room? I wonder. He's hmm. reading his, his one single issue of his comic book. <laughs> <laughs> now, maybe it's Laura, a letters page maybe he's up yeah. on a letters page <laughs> he's reading the Gumby ad at the back of that thing oh. <laughs> there it is <laughs> but, that's an inside joke folks uh, but anyway uh, Lorna, Lorna obviously she must have the same comic too because she uh, she instantly recognized it and she tells him hey Harold you know that's not exactly how things went down now, of course, Harold is all quizzical about this, and, you know, he tries basically to get the, uh, you know, to get the truth out of her. You know, he questions what she meant by that. So Lorna just basically leaves him hanging about the truth of what really happened to the original Moratory super team. So, you know, the plot is thickening here. Things are, you know, things are a little bit shady going on here in Moratory seen. Central. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, Harold tries to get some sleep, but he just wonders if this whole process about the moratory that he read in a comic book, if this thing is really worth it. Hmm. I can I can tell you, Harold, it ain't. <laughs> anyway, well, I, I really like how long it takes for, for Harold to understand that his comic was not 100% true. This guy buys, you know, he buys in very easily to his 24 pages of, uh, of comic book. I tell you, that man it's loves true. his book. Is one single issue. So 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 when you think that you've got like a meager comic book collection, just remember that uh, that Harold Everson has one, and and you know, in, enjoy. And it's well, it's well loved. And, <laughs> he's, and he's very naive. He probably thinks like the dynamic ten- tension ad will will actually make him the hero of the beach. You know, it's he's probably hoping that his superpower. Because this man does like to work out, in which we will get to a little bit after. <laughs> anyway, the uh, as everyone is trying to get some sleep, of course, the compound is awoken by noise and clatter. And boy, we get to see uh, Moratory recruit Aileen. That's the one who's you know already has advanced superpower, who crushed uh, Harold's hand in the beginning. Uh, she appears crying and screaming for help now. You know, she's when we see her, she's already done some damage to the uh, to the area where she's in. She's found screaming and she's just basically saying, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And, of course, Dr. Talima moves in and, you know, sort of sweeps her way. Now, old Harold, who, you know, who's about to get the moratory process, uh, you know, to go through with the moratory process is watching yeah. all this now. Hmm, he's witnessing some drama here. So I don't know. Yeah, more pieces falling into place. Now, you know what? I can um, I can sympathize with a with Aileen because uh, I feel this would be me. You know, I, I know there are folks out there who love to serve their country. And, man, it takes courage to do that stuff, to go to war and that stuff. Sure. You know, I'm, you got to take your hat off to those folks. But I don't think anybody ever intentionally joins the military for the purpose of dying. You know what yeah, I mean? Facilitate <laughs> yeah, as a as an alternative to suicide. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I don't. I, I don't think they have the same uh, 
the same, uh, you know, need to uh, to join the process. So uh, I think the recruitment process will be much different for the military if, uh, you know, someone said, by the way, you know, we're going to pay for your schooling. We'll pay for your room and board while you're on the base. You know, you got 75 grand a year. Have some free tickets to WWE in your house. <laughs> and oh, yeah, uh, you're going to die in a year. Sorry. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Can you sign here, please? No, you, you know, that would change the game a little bit. What? What? What was that last thing you said? Die in a year? Yeah, I think the game will be over by that time, I think. I don't know oh, about you. Yeah. Now, and, and you think about, like, just the, the – if she if she knows more than what our, our, our man Harold knows here, Absolutely. you know, she she's already taken the – she's already crossed over the Rubicon. You know, there is no going back for her. It, yeah, all it stuck. is now is regret and fear and the uh, the realization that no matter what she does now, it, it's a it's a done deal. You know, and that's – and, and I think a lot of folks, um, you know, myself included, have made bad decisions in our life. And once that decision's done or once those words are out of your mouth, it's like, wow, I've really done it now. And there's no fixing it. And uh, You've got a giant clock over your head, brother, and you're oh, every yeah. day, every hour, every second is closer to death. And that, Absolutely. that cannot be good. No, certainly not. No, I'm, I'm with you. I think I'd be I'd, I'd definitely be the alien as well. Just imagine going to work, you know, just going to work tomorrow and uh, someone says, hey, sign this contract. And by the way, you're dead in a year. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yep. No, not, not good. I, I would quit that job. I would quit that <laughs> we're we're going to make the employee of the month. <laughs> we'll have your picture on the board. There it is. <laughs> uh, so anyway, back to the story. The next morning, Moratory Commander Neon uh, interviews Harold's all about the process. So she's going to ask him the very difficult question, <laughs> you know. The one that I would like to answer as well, why do you want to die? Now, of course, Harold, who struggles to find the answer, stumbles over his words, but he finally comes to the conclusion that he wants his life to be used in the best way possible in defense of the planet. Now, Beth, who is the commander, she's like Harold's parents and reminds him that he is a writer and that this is dead serious. This is not some story. She tells him if he starts the moratory process that he will be dead in a year. Like this, this lady is reinforcing this guy to make yep. sure he doesn't make a bad decision, right? But good old Harold, based on his comic book, is unfazed, you know, and he feels that he would like to go through the process and he'll be able to write his memoirs all about the moratory process. Boy, mm-hmm. this guy, this guy just doesn't have it together, Chris. I don't know. No. Uh, anyway, he wants to share share his journey through his writings and that way become immortal through the written word. <laughs> oh, Harold, Harold. You know, don't get me wrong. I like blogging like the next guy, but let's be clear: there ain't no job that I'm gonna die for and write about it on my superhero satellite blog. That ain't <laughs> happening, brother. And, and it's just weird how um, you know we talked about how they talk about that there's a net, you know, where where there's writing, and that's where we are now. You know, we all have people don't actually set out to write memoirs because everyone has or most people have an online story that will just simply one day become their memoirs. Facebook it's, will create you one by absolutely. whether you like it or not. And, and on the, on a year after you die, they're going to send it to all your friends and be like, Hey, remember a year ago? Uh, remember when he signed up for this stupid moratory process? Remember when he cashed in that one comic book? And, <laughs> I bet it's the only one existed. I bet that's worth a damn fortune. <laughs> Got to get that bad. thing slabbed. Hey, hey, now what What would you think is preventing Harold from getting the money for that? Oh, wait, he's dead. Oh, wait a <laughs> second. Spoilers. Anyway, 
<laughs> Back to the story. Uh, a little later, Beth gives Harold a 10-second tour of the lab. So we see Louis Arminetti, and he's about to undergo his initial moratory process. So Harold and Commander Beth and the moratory creator all watch Arminetti's procedure. However, they decide to do a right turn on poor old Harold. They actually show him the video. Now, I have no idea why they would do this. They yeah. showed him a video of what actually happened to the real members of the Black Watch. So all the, what he's been reading in the comic book. He's actually going to see the real video of the actual people and what actually happened to them. So when he reviews the video, he sees that, you know, the battle is pretty much exactly what was in the comic book. You know, these guys, you know, attack the the alien horde and, uh, you know, they're going to go out in a blaze of glory from alien fire. We see Woody, the team leader. Suddenly he spontaneously combusts and burns to death yep. as a result of the moratorium process. So poor Harold, who's about to undergo this process, sitting there shocked, you know, his his mouth is agape. And, uh, you know, he's explained that the moratory, the actual process is not compatible with uh, with humans. So the moratory metabolism is bound to reject its carrier. So that's why people are dying. Hence the reason those go those undergo the moratory process are doomed to die within the course of a year. So now they're saying that, yeah, it could be a year, a little less, you know, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll work with us for all with it. You know, very, very <laughs> casual. Now, now I will say that Beth tried to warn him over and over and over not to not to do this. But anyway, Harold, Harold, you know, he carries on. So Beth tells a shocked Harold that, you know, this is the price we're asking you to pay. So you need to think very carefully, you know, carefully about it. You can't say they didn't try to talk him out of it, man. I guarantee mm-hmm. you. So moral of the story. Listen to your parents, folks. Sometimes they're right. They're right sometimes. And I mean, they're giving him every opportunity to opt out oh, and uh God. it's like dude <laughs> <laughs> there's the door go yeah yep. oh. the, the door is open that means you should leave harold yes no nope. no he doesn't want to <laughs> harold sticks around at least for lunch anyway yeah so now it's now it's lunchtime at moratory labs and harold is sitting back with aileen who apparently is over her little trauma and they're basically talking shop over a quick bite so this is where aileen reveals that she is taking the moratory process because Now, get this. She's been overlooked by men her entire life. And the moratory process makes her strong, confident, and, you know, gives her purpose. So where she would have committed suicide a long time ago, she relies on the moratory process to, you know, make her a superhero, give her confidence, and give her, and I'm not joking, a bigger bus line, which is very important. It is. Right? You know, that's why. Yeah. Yeah. How how great is your bus line when you're dead? I'm just asking questions. Yeah. I don't know. If we have if we have any female listeners, feel free to chime in. I don't know. Maybe it's a it's a female thing. I don't know. Uh, anyway, suddenly dinner is broken up by our emergency alarm signifying a horde attack. So man. Anyway, from that little scene, I gotta say, you know, this Aileen chick, she's she's all sorts of crazy, Chris. Yeah. I don't I don't know what else to say. Her rationale behind giving up her life, you know, to have a bigger boss than to be a hero that dies within a year. Uh, I don't know, man. All I got to say is this Dr. Talima guy who created this thing is going to have one heck of a malpractice suit when he gets on his hands after this whole <laughs> horde invasion thing is over. Man. Anyway. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> on to the story. The new recruits, of course, they jump into action. Uh, but they're stopped right at the gate, so they don't even they don't even leave the room. They're sent underground to a bunker and told not to engage in in any combat. So yep, Commander benched. Beth, they, yeah, they're benched. 
basically their powers haven't evolved. You know, they they have no way to to fight the horde, so they're gonna just they're gonna hang out at base while the uh, while the real stars of the show actually go out and you know bust up the horde army. However, good old Aileen, uh, again, you know, bust line and all, she decides right now that she's going to actually experience her energy burst coming through her hands, and it actually melts and blows the locks off the compound door. And, of course, this opens up the uh, opens up the doors to have free reign. So, of course, all the young kids, all the recruits, they jump out. They steal several of the land ships, and they fly directly into the shock zone. So they're going to go head-to-head, Black Watch style, hopefully with better results. <laughs> so. Now, Aileen, of course, you know, whose powers are elevated beyond everybody else, she literally goes black watch. She dives out of the side of the plane and attacks oh, yeah. the hordes head on. Harold as well. I mean, this guy is just guns a-blazing. He's combating the horde army. But he finds out right away that this is no joke. So right away, he's basically overwhelmed by a horde warrior. And he's he's about to die very, very early in this book. Before course, even going through the process. He is a sitting duck out in that field, and a horde warrior who's uh, all sorts of nasty is ready to kick his ass and kill him. But anyway, Mr. Commander Beth Neon, of course, comes to the rescue, and of course, <laughs> she has some choice words for the new recruits. So before before they leave, Harold has one more shot at glory, and boy, he's dodging bullets and laser beams left and right. He guns down a bunch of the uh, the horde men with great fury, so... I don't know. During all this, I felt in my gut that, you know, I thought Aileen was going to be dead at the gate. You know, yeah. when her hands started to light up, I thought it was, you know, the defect that was going to kill her as well. You know, I'm glad they didn't. But at this point, believe it or not, I was actually already invested in these characters. So, you know, yeah, uh, they're all uh, good. Yeah. Yeah. So but, you know, they've already won me over. I mean, as as ridiculous as Harold is, you know, I, I didn't want to see him die. I, I you know, I was behind him already. He's got, so he's got a charm to him for sure. Yeah. 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 So one thing about this, and and this is strange when you read the rest of the book, but no one actually dies in this round, (laughs) and the horde actually retreats from the factory they were robbing. Now, once the commander gets the new recruits and the newbies back to base, you know, she chastises them for their uprising and informs them that, you know, the place they robbed – now get this. This is what they put their life on the line for – was a (gasps) chocolate factory. (laughs) Yep. Not even Hershey. Nope. And they put they put their lives in jeopardy. So she she right calls them morons and kicks the newcomers out of her office. <laughs> <laughs> now of course we go back to old Harold. Now Harold's back in his room. What is and, he yep, doing? Now now if you if you've been listening, you know damn well what Harold is doing. He's rereading his copy of the Black Watch, and this time he actually knows he he comes to the the grand awakening that you know what maybe this book is not accurate. So Harold. <laughs> Loses his mind, drops his comic, gets up out of the bed, and walks to the commander's office. Now, she's in the middle of writing up a report, and she's a little bit surprised and annoyed when Harold shows up. He So he brazenly enters, and this is right at the very end, and he proclaims, Commander, I've decided to sign on. Mm-hmm. And that is how the book wraps up. So, you know what? Issue one was a great introduction for me. It's a, you know, it's a lot different than, you know, a lot of the following issues that are to come. This one's basically told from Harold's point of view, which is not exactly how the rest of them uh, roll out. This seemed like the Harold book, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was definitely the the POV character here. Absolutely. uh, And going in, you're thinking you're thinking he's, you know, he's going to be the star for sure. Absolutely. This one gives you all the story beats you need to understand the series, though. So it's important that you read this one. So I loved issue one. This was a win for me. So 
Up next on our next episode, we're going to go through the garden. Mm-hmm. It's all about and, and it talks about neat costumes, nifty names, and instant karma. So don't miss it. And that's how they leave us off. It and that, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, is issue numero one. Yes, and it's like you said, this is a, a wonderful issue because it there, there's so much world building here, and uh, that's something that I'm a real sucker for. I could read a bad story if it has a good built world. Uh, this Absolutely. is a great story with a wonderfully built world here. You have you have the intrigue between what's real and what's fake, uh, what's presented to the public and what's not, learning the difference between the two, and uh, just the the struggle. That, uh, that you see with Harold where, you know, we're trying to play this like it's our first time reading it. <laughs> we're, we're trying not to bury <laughs> any leads here. And we don't want to we don't want to evoke any any uh, spoileristic thoughts or anything like that. We don't want to put anything into the ether. But, uh, you know, you get this idea that Harold might walk away. Absolutely. You know, when, he, when he's struggling at the very end here, it could have went either way. He could have said, I'm signing on or he could have said, you know what? <laughs> Done. <laughs> And uh, we move on to whoever is going to be our next POV character after that. But uh, but he's stuck on, and uh, he's going to get himself a Ginchy new costume next time. So that'll be uh, oh boy, that'll be great. Um, <laughs> but before we wrap up here, uh, wanted to take a look at what else was going on at Marvel during this month. Here, we're going to take a look at the bullpen bulletins, uh, primarily because uh, we wanted to include the blurb that they included for Strike Force Moratory Number One. And uh, they don't give you a whole lot. <clears throat> they uh, they say the following. They are a select group of superpowered individuals. They each gained their powers at a dreadful cost. They are more Tory, we who are about to die. So it doesn't tell you a whole lot. Mm, doesn't no, tell you a whole heck of a lot. Uh, <laughs> so they tell you that they're already superpowered. Hmm. That's true. They're sort, of, they're sort of jumping the gun. Yeah, they're sort of uh, putting the cart before the horse here. But, uh, yeah, they already gained their powers, they're saying, yeah. Uh, also from Marvel, we got Power Pack number 27, and that ties in with the X-Men. I believe it was the Mutant Massacre. Yep, so uh, what happens What happens when your book is not selling titles? Who do you put in? Yep, it's the damn X-Men, and they're coming. You gotta stick them in there. Speaking of guest stars, the Avengers guest star in Amazing Spider-Man number 283. I figure now it would be a bigger deal if they didn't. <laughs> you know, you, you know what? Back in the Bortons. Back in '86, the Avengers were not money. So when no. you, when you think when you think in the world of 2019, where the Avengers are the beginning and end all of the the MCU, uh, the Avengers were trying to sell some books by being in Spider-Man instead yeah. of helping him sell it. So That's true fact, true fact. Um, How would the Ducks limited series kicks off? This is one written by Danny Fingeroth that I have absolutely no recollection of. Was this the movie one? Was this the movie adaptation? I you know I. I, it might have been. This was uh, the same year, but uh, it, all it says in the solicitor in the bullpen bulletins is that it's a uh, it's the uh, the limited series. So it might have been the movie if, tie-in if there if, was one. If it's the uh, if it's the movie adaptation, it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> uh, the transform. Speaking of movie adaptations, we have Transformers the movie number one. Oh boy, um, what a what a segue there. We went from Howard the Duck to Transformers the movie, mm-hmm. which uh, <laughs> which is a masterpiece. I've, I've never seen it. I'm sure that's a shock to anyone listening. Um, <laughs> you need a pop culture intervention, my friend, is all I can say. I might. I might. Uh, we also have uh, The Nam, number one, kicking off. Uh, the X-Men in issue 212, Wolverine versus Sabretooth, part of the Mutant Massacre. 
Mm-hmm. I like the way they worded this one here. Roger Stern and the Busemis take over as the storytelling team in Fantastic <laughs> Four number 297. Uh, <laughs> this is right after uh, right after Byrne was booted or walked off or whatever the story is this week. But I, I like how they just call them the storytelling team. That's a Ooh, pretty interesting. Uh, Star Digest number one reprints some of the early Star books. Uh, Heathcliff, Muppet Babies, Top Cat, and Ewok stories. Are I bought them all. I love Star Comics. <laughs> I do. I do. I love every one of those handful. books. You yep. listen to. Ewoks <laughs> and, especially. Ewoks and droids. Come on. Oh, yeah. I've got those too. Yep. Uh, and most of the New Universe books see their second issue. Uh, however, Star Brand and Spitfire, they're up to number three. So. Oh, boy. They're, 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 those books are like the moratory as well. They've got a <laughs> limited shelf life of one year. <laughs> but that's what's going on in the rest of the Marvel universe or the Marvel shipping uh, list, I guess, because uh, we're, we're playing fast and loose with what's in and what's out. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we learned an awful lot about our, our friend Harold and uh, the Mori Tori process and the world of uh, Earth 1297. But uh, in reading this comic book, we also learned some things that were not Mori Tori related. And uh, <laughs> among those were that there were brown and tan M&Ms back in 1986. Ooh, nothing I brown is, is nice. <laughs> I don't know. You have these you have two different shades of brown for M&M's. That's uh, <laughs> odd. Um, and I remember like when they added colors back in the day, it's like we're going to add red. And it was like a huge deal. Like, yes, everybody was talking about it. And then like they added blue. And then we all when they added blue, we all realized, wait, there aren't blue ones. You know, <laughs> it's like, shouldn't it blue, blue be one of the colors you got? But now, I mean, you can go and you can get like you can get like what, 7000 shades of M&M now. So it's not that special anymore. Do you know in Canada <laughs> that M&M's was like the, the red-headed stepchild to Smarties? Now, you might say, now, Chris, what is Smarties? Well, well, Chris, I'm glad you asked. Those so little smart- wafers? Those little uh, in the little wrap? No. So Smarties are basically like M&M's here in Canada. So you know the ones that you call Smarties that you get for like Halloween and stuff like yeah. that? Like in the little wrappers? Those ones. Those are actually called Rockets in Canada. How about that? And Smarties are a different thing. And I will post a picture up on my Twitter because Smarties is an actual M&M style candy that actually came before M&Ms in Canada. So how about that? How about them oh. apples? Anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm very uh, unworldly. So this is a, that, that's, a, that's new <laughs> to me for sure. I'll send you a box for Christmas. There we go. Um, we also learned that the laser tag game kit comes with one starlight, one Ooh, star yeah. sensor, and one star belt. But zero batteries. So uh, oh, you don't want to like be you, that guy. You do not no. want to be that parent. <laughs> you wake up on Christmas morning, you got your laser tag kit, and you can't do a damn thing with it because you got oh. no batteries in the house. You're, you're robbing them from the remote. You know, <laughs> you're doing whatever you can. <laughs> and then you realize I, this is real world problems, people. This actually happens. I have robbed it from the remote. Oh, absolutely. And then then you realize that like you're standing in your living room wearing your laser tag get up, and you have no one to shoot. <laughs> You know, <laughs> what yes, are you, you going to do? You only have one set and nobody else got it for that Christmas. <laughs> nope. You got to put your star sensor on the dog or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, bonkers. That's a candy brand. They now come in chocolate. Those were uh, I, those were pretty I good. Never, I have never had chocolate bonkers. I, I don't know that I have either. I know I like the watermelon ones uh, oh, a lot. Too. And uh, I remember the commercials with the uh, with the old lady getting crushed by giant fruit. 
that was that was always a uh, that was always a, a a bright spot in the Saturday morning, which uh, we'll we'll do some more of that in a minute. Uh, we learned that the Westfield Company they deliver America's finest discount comics subscription services at almost thirty five percent off cover price. So I'll take that. Yeah. Comic, comic book discount service. Yeah, so you, for your 75 cent comic, you're getting it for what, like 50 something cents, maybe? I don't know. Wow. So there, your Strike Force moratorium is. Or actual price in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> there you After go. After the discount. <laughs> we also learned that the 1986-1987 NBC Saturday morning lineup, lineup kicked off with, and and you you can probably uh, you can probably empathize with me here, Kissy Fur. We're both named Christopher, right? Yes. Uh, listen, I was ca- back in the day. I was called Kissifer by everybody. Mm-hmm. My aunt. Oh, I thought it was really cute. Ah, oh, look at Kissifer. Oh, I hated Boy. it. Or, hated it. Uh, well, it yeah, Kissifer was followed by the Gummy Bears. I want to the... sing the song. I want to sing the song, but I can't. <laughs> I won't. I won't. I refuse. <laughs> then the Smoifs. Uh, <laughs> then uh, Punky Brewster, where she had that irritating glomer with her. Oh yes, yep. Nobody got stuck in a refrigerator in that one, though. Um, Alvin and the Chipmunks. Ah, uh, man, that show went on forever, and I loved every episode. Oh, that was great. That was great. Uh, Fufa, which uh, I don't think I, I don't think I could tell you a thing about it besides the fact that it was called Fufa. I knew it was on. I didn't watch it. That was a chance yeah. switcher for me. But one that we probably both did watch is what the uh, Saturday morning lineup ended with, and that was Kid Video. I loved Kid Video. A rock band sent to video game world, come to daddy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we mustn't forget about one to grow on. Uh, oh. Michael, Michael J. Fox here helpfully tells us to expect five one to grow ons every single Saturday. So, do you uh, know, do you know, and this is a true Chris, uh, Chris Bailey factoid, mm-hmm. uh, that I say, and kids, that's one to grow on every day at work, and nobody has a clue what I'm talking about. But I love it. It's just one of those inside jokes, and I go, and yep. that, kids, is one to grow on. And I it's, just walk away. It's that one and uh, knowing is half the battle. And, knowing and is I'm, half the battle in both of those. <laughs> and it's usually the only one that gets it. Uh, <laughs> um, now, also, Adidas, this is big stuff here. Adidas has a sub-brand called Astronauts. You know, Adidas Astronauts. shoes and clothes brand. And uh, the design, the technical term for the design on astronauts is cosmic. So they're not <laughs> denim, you know, they're not uh, they're not uh, polyester. They're they're cosmic. So there you go. That's and this strange. issue, yeah, this issue wraps up with, oh man, something that really sticks in my craw. <laughs> Gumby and Pokey have Gumdinger adventures. So they go to Gumdinger <laughs> land in a hot air balloon. This is a Brock's candy ad or Brock's uh, lollipop ad. And it ends with a to be continued, but I swear I've never seen a part two. And this, <laughs> and, this thing ran I'm, I'm sort of, all I'm the sort time. Of, I'm sort of okay with that. And I did see this <laughs> ad a billion times. Every issue had this damn ad in it, but uh, I've never seen a part two. There's a coupon on the bottom where you can get more gum and more fun with Gum Dinger Pops and Gumby and Pokey Fun Kits. And oh. you might think, hey, maybe you got to cough up some money to hear the see the conclusion of this story. But if even if you spend a dollar, it doesn't. You don't get the part two. All you get is stickers, a memo pad, a pen, and bookmarks. So, <laughs> what, what what do you give to people when you put zero effort into your giveaways? Stationary. <laughs> Stationary. Absolutely. <laughs> but it's just uh, that's one. I 
you know, that's one for us to grow on. I, I, if anybody out there has seen <laughs> yes. part two of Gumdingaland, let us know and maybe send us a picture. I, I've never been able to find it. Chris will not sleep tonight. Please, I won't. please help I won't. the man. <laughs> and uh, that'll that'll do it for uh, the first episode here. We uh, we hope you dug the conversation and uh, more off more 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 than anything, we urge you to find this book. Um, join us on the journey all the way to episode thirty one plus five. Uh, the next wow. episode plus uh, five. We're we're going in overtime there, brother. We're going into undertow. Maybe maybe we'll be even <laughs> maybe we'll be even dead by that time. <laughs> you never know. You never know. But uh, <laughs> next episode, you'll join us as our heroes get their super 80s style costumes and their new superhero names as Strikeforce Moritori. The story is called The Garden, and our heroes might not even make it out of basic training. You'll have to join us to find out. Uh, Strikeforce Moritori is available on the Marvel Unlimited app. So if you got the app, you can check it out. And it's uh, not going to cost you any more than it would have anyway. Uh, it, <laughs> it has been it has been collected in trade. Uh, and if you're like me and you you really love your 25 cent bins, you're, you're probably going to find a lot of this issue in there. Uh, that's what it always seems to be. I always find the first issue. But uh, you might might luck out and you might find a uh, a better uh, more you know full run. So uh, uh, before we jam out, uh, how about you plug yourself? Well, well, I thought you'd never asked. I've I've never been asked <laughs> to plug myself, but now I have, I guess. Uh, I can be found on the old Twitter at Charlton underscore hero. Uh, you can find my retro ramblings over on the Superhero Satellite. And if you like that, you might like a few of my friends. So how about you check out the Super Blog Team Up? Just check us out on the Twitter with hashtag SuperBlogTeamUp or hashtag SBTU. You can also find me uh, ranting and raving about some wrestling over on the Radlich and Broadcasting Network, as we always do um, TV Party Tonight over with Mr. Mark Radlich, and we talk about some wrestling. So that is me. And every now and then, when the, when the, when the moment gets me, uh, gets me in a certain fancy, I can be found over here on the Chris and Reggie Network with Chris. Absolutely, absolutely. And if you want to get a hold of us and maybe talk about Strike Force Moritori, uh, talk about Bad Ronald, talk about Gum Dingaland, whatever you want to talk about, <laughs> you can you can reach out at uh, weirdcomicshistory at gmail dot com. You can check out the website at chrisandreggie.com. You check my website out that uh, I don't really plug all that much because I don't think anybody cares anymore. But it's Chris's on infiniteearth.com and uh, it's we still care. Updated. Tell 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 Chris we all care. Please please tell. Please, him. I'm on the ledge here, so help me out. But uh. <laughs> Uh, you can find me at Ace Comics. Reggie's at Reggie Reggie. The show's Twitter is at Cosmic T-Mill. And uh, I think that'll do it for this week. Uh, we thank you so, so much for hanging out. And uh, we'll see you real soon. Take care, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>